0: Hello, all you Elegant Eagles. Welcome to another week of A Little Greener podcast all about nature, conservation, and sustainability. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Sarah, and I'm joined by the wonderful Casey. How's it going, Casey? Hi, it's going. It's
1: it's happening. Getting close. Getting close. (laughs) I was just saying before we started that I am ready... I'm ready now. <laughs> I've hit that <laughs> stage of pregnancy where I'm like, okay, I'm over it. This is, The novelty is worn off and I'm just uncomfy all the time. So, so she's got a little bit of cooking to do, but a couple weeks. It'll be
0: here before you know it. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited. Yeah. How are you? I'm all right. I'm transitioning into a, a temporary job next week. So... I'm in that stage where I'm I'm excited about it. I'm excited about what I'm going to be doing, but it's also the anxiety phase (laughs) has started for me of just the sort of unknown. And I like my job now and I have a good work-life balance and I know what to expect. So I'm on the roller coaster of being excited and then being very anxious this week, but it's all good.
1: Yes, it's good things going forward for you. I'm pleased to hear it. Any a little greener news this week?
0: I don't think I have any major little greater news. I did. We talked about concrete last week and you had mentioned, you know, feeling like you were going to be more aware of the concrete around you. And in my head, I was like, man, I just feel like it's everywhere. It's just so ubiquitous that I'm not going to pay attention. But I did actually drive by what I think is a hotel in that sort of construction phase where it's. It, it just looks like solid concrete to me. Mm, mm-hmm. When we talked about the types of houses that we have, I mentioned that you could do like poured concrete walls. I don't actually think that that's a thing that's done for houses. Although I, like I said, I'm not a builder, but for bigger buildings, I think that's more of a possibility. And that's what this looked like to me. I don't really know, but it was just like solid, the exterior walls and the the f- like the flooring I don't even know if you'd really call it that but the in between the levels of the building and I was like that is just so much straight concrete right there and so I was wondering do we really need all of that concrete are there places that the designers or the engineers could have you know revamped that building so
1: I think when I see buildings built with concrete around here Uh, It's mostly just like the elevator shaft. I don't know if you've ever seen Mm -hmm. a building that's like partially constructed and you just see this concrete tube up there. They've poured the concrete for the base and then there's concrete blocks that make the elevator shaft before they fill it out with wood or steel or whatever else the frame is. And that's normally what I see in the concrete in construction.
0: Interesting. I don't think I've ever noticed anything like that. And I think it's probably good.
1: (laughs) Well, Sarah, today we're going to uh, switch gears a little bit, although we're still kind of talking about how our world works and uh, and materials that mm-hmm. we need to run it. Um, and so I have a little bit of an off-kilter question for you. Our states in the United States have funny shapes, and sometimes they look like other things. So when I was in the eighth grade, Mr. Allen pointed out to teach us where Kentucky was, that it looked like a piece of Kentucky fried chicken. But there are a bunch of other states that I think look like other things. and I was wondering if there like are there any states you look at and think like in your brain that they resemble something else or am I just kind of crazy?
0: Man, I wish that I had <laughs> seen or known about this question in advance because now I have to think about it. Not off the top of my head. I'm gonna pull up a map here to see if anything <laughs> gets inspired. Obviously, the big one coming from the Midwest is the mitten. Yeah, Michigan, but i feel like everybody knows about that i don't feel like i have anything fun like i have never heard the kentucky fried chicken one that's funny to me but i don't think i have a good one well i'll tell you that ever since i was
1: little when i looked at the state of alaska i for some reason have seen a frog and so you've got the kind of top bump there with the little almost like upturned nose and I thought about like a little frog, his little hands jutting out, his knee, and then you see two long legs that he's using to run, not hop. I don't know why. And this is what has always been in my brain when I see Alaska. And it is the only segue that I could think of
0: for talking about uh, Alaska today. All <laughs> right. I'm glad that you have that in your brain. i'm I don't see it, but I'll, see it. I'll 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 take it as a segue.
1: I will uh, have to draw a cartoon frog in the shape of Alaska, um, and it still probably won't be very convincing. (laughs) Well, today we're talking about a project that's happening in Alaska. It's a bit of a hot button issue right now, especially if you're in environmental circles on the internet. We're going to be talking about the Willow Project um, that is happening in Alaska. So if you stick around, we'll talk about what's going on with this drilling project and why there's lots of thoughts and feelings about it. Right, we are back and we are going to be talking about the Willow Project. And Sarah, one of the first things that I googled is why is it called the Willow Project? Um, because we're talking about an oil drilling project. Right. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay, you couldn't find an answer. I, I could not find an answer. I was literally thinking, I, did, I read a little bit about this too in preparation for this week and I didn't think to look into that as I was researching it. But as I sat down to get ready to record tonight, I was like... Why is it called the So I it, literally right. oh, anytime
1: no. you Google it, they'll they'll just say that um Canoco Phillips, which is the mm-hmm. um, company that is working on this project, drilled some wells, found some oil, and named it Willow. And I was like, but why? Mystery is still out there. If anyone knows why, let us know. Let us know but it feels a little bit like how could you be mad at something called Willow? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> turns out you can be very mad about it so the first thing i've included here sarah um is a little bit of the scope of of the area that we're talking about for this project so the willow drilling project is a proposed project to drill for oil in the national petroleum reserve in alaska so i've put a map here it is on top of the frog's head if you're using (laughs) my, but it's in basically the very northern part of alaska Mm -hmm. um, and it's a really big area it's about the size of the state of indiana yeah, that's that, the petroleum reserve. Yeah,
0: that uh, I got a kick out of that being from the state of Indiana. I was like, oh, this I I understand we this reference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the National Petroleum Reserve in Alaska uh, was first set aside in the seventies as an area of potential importance for petroleum, but also has been acknowledged several times for basically being this really big area of federal land that. Both has petroleum, but also is ecologically important. So it's sort of set aside specifically for development. And the Bureau of Land Management is generally in charge of leases and regulations in the area. The Conoco Phillips Corporation has held leases in the area since 1996. So this is not like a new thing for them.
0: Right, which is sort of an important point to know.
1: Will become relevant (laughs) in the argument phase of this. They... Discovered Willow, quote unquote, uh, after drilling two exploratory wells in 2016. So, you know, not that long ago that they actually they got approval for the exploratory drilling. They found what they consider a pretty large area. Um, the Willow Project area is on the eastern side of the National Petroleum Reserve. It's fairly close to the coast, and if you're looking at the map that I'm looking at, you can see that. It's probably another half Indiana away from the Arctic National <laughs> Wildlife Refuge, which, um, you know, that whole area up there, it's not heavily populated. It's not heavily developed. This is a large tract of land. And the project that they proposed, the Willow Project, is the largest oil project proposed in the United States. So the footprint of the project will be about... 499 acres um but will also include hundreds of miles of roadways pipelines and airstrips
0: not to jump ahead here Casey but we it. we know that we've had there was an initial proposal and now there's a downscale mm-hmm. so is this the initial proposal size do we know
1: uh first of all i want to thank a lot of our sources here <laughs> which includes the department of the interior the washington post a stanford article a slate article check out our show notes there's lots of good stuff in there this is the final footprint so okay. this is um there's basically a difference and we'll talk about it more further in a moment between the original scope of the project and then the actual approved scope of the project and so the final approval has the 499 acres of land it has cut out like miles of pipeline miles of roadways that were in the initial proposal but we're still talking about a fairly large footprint although the washington post compared this to being two and a half times the size of the area that the washington commander's stadium acquisition was which made it feel not very big
0: yeah right perspective yes
1: why? That's a lot of land for football. I don't right. understand. <laughs> um. So the project was approved in 2020 by the Trump administration. Basically, they had to go through, as all projects on federal lands do, an environmental impact assessment. And so it went through the environmental impact assessment. It went through a comment period. It was approved. And then a bunch of environmental groups and in conjunction with Indigenous communities, sued to halt the project, claiming that the environmental impact statement was not sufficient. And they won. Uh, they, they won that. It got halted, and they were ordered to redo the environmental impact statement. And uh, within, I think it was, gosh, two maybe two, three weeks ago, the project has now been approved with a new environmental impact statement. Although there are still some issues with that environmental (laughs) impact statement, which we'll talk about. Um, So the project's gonna cost about $8 billion and produce 180,000 barrels of oil a day, which is about 1.5% of the U.S. oil production currently. And it will be totaling, they said, in the original scope of the project, it was gonna be like 600 million barrels over the next 30 years. So I don't know if that's still around the same number, but the idea of the lifetime of the projects is about 30 years.
0: Just every time we talk about things like this, I just realize how little sort of scope I have for how, how these things work. I'm like 180,000 barrels, but like
1: that's a lot. That's a
0: Yeah. And
1: that's only 1.5% of that. Right. Because that we
0: probably, part- I mean, billions of. Barrels.
1: billions. Yes. And if you're like okay, what do we even use oil for? I looked that up too cuz sometimes mm-hmm. I get confused between yeah. oil and gasoline and petroleum and, and, and there's burner. yeah,
0: crude oil versus petroleum and
1: right. Oh, yeah. Yes. So oil gets transformed into gasoline but also into plastics, into diesel mm-hmm. and a bunch of other things too. So we use it for a lot of stuff, but it is a fossil fuel. It is something that we combust and it emits a lot of carbon dioxide out into the atmosphere. Which kind of leads us into sorry, go ahead.
0: I was just gonna say, and I think it's also of note that we produce all of this, we use some of it and we export some of it as well, and we import from other places too. Uh-huh. It's a global market.
1: It's a yeah. whole global thing, which also becomes kind of relevant mm-hmm. here. So let's look at it. We're a little greener, we're a podcast about nature and conservation sustainability. So let's look at it through our first lens, which is the environmental concerns of a petroleum oil. Drilling project. The first one is oil spills that I came across. So, Sarah, do you have like memories of oil spills on the news?
0: Very vague. We've established, well, <laughs> my terrible memory many a time on this podcast. So, we don't need to rehash th- that. But yes, absolutely. I have memories of seeing news coverage of oil spills. I also have memories of companies like Dawn in particular yes. that comes to mind with their commercials and the oil-soaked wildlife and that sort of thing uh, when it became bigger in people's minds.
1: Yeah, if, if you're a little younger than us, I feel like maybe you don't have as visceral a reaction to this. But th- uh, the Deepwater Horizon spill happened in 2010, and that's the one that was like all over the news, yeah. partially because it was the biggest spill in regards to quantity of oil um, ever spilled. And so you saw all the birds on the beach mm-hmm. covered in oil and, yes, putting Dawn soap on them to clean them up. That's if you ever looked at a, a bottle of Dawn and then like, why is there a duck on there? <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: Because it's <laughs> Is it very, enough. like, iconic <laughs> and, you know,
1: yeah, moment um, in time? It, it really is. Now, Stanford experts in the article that's cited below note that one of the advantages that Deepwater Horizon actually had is that it was in coastal waters where it was pretty accessible. So it was actually something that, if we responded well to it, could be fixed fairly easily based on the geography of where it was located. The second biggest oil spill was the Exxon Valdez oil spill which happened in 1989 and that actually happened off the coast of alaska and one of the issues that happened there is that a lot of the areas that they were trying to access were much less accessible they were trying to get their helicopter and different boats based on what you're looking at this map here sarah what what would you characterize the climate of northern alaska as being cold very cold (laughs) cold this is habitat (laughs) where you're imagining polar bears living caribou caribou yes lots of waterfowl all sorts of things live up here um, but they require these winter seasons and so there's a lot of ice up here so there's a, a concern that if the oil is being transferred uh, around this area, especially because there's a lot of wetlands, but there's only going to be specialized types of of equipment that can get mm-hmm. to the areas if there is an oil spill. So that is a concern that was brought up that I hadn't thought about for a while. Yeah,
0: I it was interesting to come across that because I certainly, it, it wouldn't have been high on my list of concerns that I had about this, but it is interesting to think about too, especially like this is, we're not talking about offshore drilling here. This is a land... Right project, but still accessibility and mm -hmm. you know. And there's transportation.
1: They're talking about building like Mm -hmm. an airstrip on like a little temporary island for all of this. We're not oil drilling experts. If anyone's out there who wants to talk to us about what that looks like, actually, hey, come on. Let's talk about what actually the scope of the project looks like. But it's big. Obviously, $8 billion big. So they're going to obviously have the drilling sites, but you have to be able to transport the oil somewhere. And that is typically done via pipeline. There's actually a uh, trans-Alaska pipeline that already runs from basically north to south of Alaska that was built, I think it was completed back in the 70s. And so there is existing pipeline in Alaska. They do need to run more pipes to connect this project. One of the big challenges has to do with the land in Alaska that they're running these pipes through. Um, It's through permafrost. Permafrost is, if you're not familiar with it, one of the most vulnerable areas for climate change right now. It's warming at about twice the, the rate of some of the other parts of the world. And so what you're getting to is unstable ground to build this on. Okay. So when it's frozen, it's one thing because it's basically just land. But when it's melting, the structure that you're actually building it on is a problem. Now, the transatlantic Pipe or trans uh, Alaska pipeline is also built through permafrost in some areas. Um, and they weren't really concerned about that in the 1970s when they were building it. They did build in some structures to help offset things like flooding and uh, earthquakes and things like that but that's going to be something that they really have to consider when they're building these pipelines yeah. in the permafrost um, again this is also something related to climate change so they're building infrastructure on a very climate sensitive area while worsening climate change. right the, <laughs> the
0: overall uh, effect of this entire project this is increasing our access to fossil fuels so which ultimately is resulting in more emissions
1: right a big one that's also cited is habitat degradation so you mentioned caribou Um, there's caribou populations that live and migrate through that area it is something that uh, local peoples use for subsistence up there so it is really important that they are able to continue to migrate and utilize that habitat you also have polar bears grizzlies lots of waterfowl that rely on the area for habitat there's important wetland um, infrastructures up there which again oil spills get a little sketchier around wetland areas roads that are associated with the project not just the drilling pads themselves but the roads uh that are transporting not just vehicles but what we see is a lot of times when roads are built out into wilderness areas is that you end up with development along the roads as well. And so there's the initial impact of the road and making sure that caribou or grizzly bears don't get hit by a car. But then if you have more people up there, you're going to see side effects of the development as well. They were still favored over air travel. So I guess they looked at instead doing airstrips, um, but they found that they thought that that would be actually more impactful to wildlife to have the like frequent flying over. Mm -hmm. So that was considered good to be looking at options yes lots of options out there uh but the big one is climate change and i think that's the reason you're going to see it mostly in the news people who are local to the area who are opposed to it although we'll talk about kind of where that landscape is right now are citing issues having to do much more with the caribou and the ability to utilize that area in a subsistence manner the way that they always have like what's going to be interrupted but from a national scale climate change so sarah this project is going to result in about 293 million tons of co2 over its lifetime which is the equivalent of driving 1.7 million cars on the road every year I don't really love those comparisons, but basically every article I looked at used that. So I was like, I guess people we'll say respond it, right? to
0: it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's hard. It's trying to make it because, like I said, I struggle with this because right. the scope is just beyond sort of what I can grasp. So they're like, oh, people understand cars and traffic and cars on the road. So I get it from that standpoint. But, yeah, I, I feel like it.
1: But one point seven million is still a number. Still a I huge can't number. <laughs> figure out. <laughs> yeah. So overall, global changes, in particular, uh, well, there's a overall global changes impacted by climate change, which we've talked about on many, many sure. episodes of this podcast. We're not going to go into all of them, but it's bad news. It's happening very quickly, um, and animals and people can't adapt to it very well. But in this particular area, we're looking at things like ocean acidification um, which impacts the ability of shellfish to grow their shells for example which not only impacts them and fish but also walruses Mm -hmm. that rely on them Um, further permafrost melting impacts all sorts of different species that utilize that area and obviously the polar bear is the poster child of climate change they need sea ice so further impacting global warming accelerating it is going to have an impact on the species that live right there and also the people people in alaska are impacted by the change in climate as well Right. so from a solely environmental perspective i was trying to look for like the upside of this it's got no positive. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad in that that's yeah. frame
0: And I think this is, that is what we've seen when we've been doing those episodes from our energy series, which we know we still have more to do and (laughs) those are very spreading, but we've done a couple of our fossil fuels so far. And like that, that is, that's the whole point, you know, that's the push to convert away from these because there is no environmental upside. And again, that's what our podcast is talking about. We are talking about the environmental impacts however that's not the way the world works too and so people are arguing for this thing as well as against it and so we'll talk about that as well
1: right I I do think in some of our energy episodes we would talk about like okay there's solar panels and they're good but also they use resources so Mm -hmm. how do those balance and offset how do you like account for that this is not a project where you're really doing that it's all all pretty much bad yeah from that perspective but we're not just talking about the environment and it is important to think about when we do talk about the environment we are still talking about people we're still talking about how we interact with our world yeah and so not just animals but people are going to be on the downside of this too but there will be some upsides and there's a reason that people are are supporting this Mm -hmm. so let's talk about the pros a little bit this is supported by the majority of alaskans across party lines so it is not entirely a partisan issue. People in Alaska rely heavily on tax revenue from oil. I was reading a little history about <laughs> how Alaskan tax structure is.
0: They used to have a higher income tax. Now, basically, they like don't have. They don't have a state income tax, there's no uh, state which income tax. there's no. I don't. In Florida, we don't do state income tax either, which is glorious oh, okay. on tax day. Yeah. So that in and of itself wasn't surprising to me necessarily but they don't I think they don't have sales tax either when they first
1: implemented this basically when the Trans uh, Alaska pipeline was put in and they started implementing a tax on petroleum development and production the state was bringing in more money than was their budget for like five years every year That's sort of where they were looking at. They had to come up with a plan of like, how do we, okay, how do we strategically put it away? How do we make sure that we're saving the right amount? But basically it shifted a bunch of the the tax burden from the individuals who live there to the companies who are exploring the state. Alaska is so spread out and rural that it, it does need, like, different it has different infrastructure needs and social needs than other states who might be a little bit more centralized
0: yeah and it is but it was very interesting and i i just i hadn't realized prior to looking into this how much they're dependent on oil for their state revenue basically was was a surprise to me
1: now this is also like not sustainable <laughs> um which is what they're seeing now there's decreased uh, production of oil mm-hmm. and so there's a decreased tax revenue base we see this in other countries too where they are heavily reliant on their oil reserves and exporting those is that if there's fluctuations in the market then all of a sudden their ability to take care of people there dramatically changes so uh Alaska relies heavily on those tax revenue from oil. So overall, if this project goes forward, that's a lot of money towards the state and resources for the citizens. So it makes sense why people there are proponents of it. Yeah. It will create 2,000 temporary construction jobs and then about 300 permanent jobs. This is according to Kanoko, who's the company proposing it. New construction will bring economic development to impoverished areas. So northern Alaska, not a heavily developed populated area Um, there are a lot of indigenous folks who live up there including the inupiat of the northern slope which is generally the area where the project is proposed so they were included in the conversation overall the general overall opinion seems to be yes we like this project from that community that community didn't have running water up until a couple decades ago, and so they're expecting this to bring in money for schools, money for infrastructure, help help with their housing crisis. And these are
0: important things, and right. I, you can understand why, from that perspective, they would be for this.
1: Absolutely. Um, it's important to note that not all indigenous mm-hmm. people in the area support the project. The mayor of the city of Newquist, um, which has about a population of 525 people, is concerned about the project's impact on caribou, on her, her residents that live in the area who are mostly subsistence, um, caribou hunters and and gatherers. They are one of the closest communities to the actual project itself, which I thought was maybe... Maybe could come from an angle of a little bit of that not in my backyard situation mm-hmm. of things that we do in cities all the time, which is like, yeah, we need a, a landfill, but not but not, not here, here. Yeah. yeah um yes, we we want a recycling plant, but not not in my area. and so i I wonder if some of the indigenous folks who are like, yeah, that's really cool are not the ones where they're like, and I can see it from my house right <laughs> So the people who are closest to it, that community seems to be not proponents in of favor, it yeah yes but overall people are are who are closest to it who are impacted by it are mostly in favor of it
0: mm-hmm.
1: that being said with we're not you know us in, in other parts of the country are still impacted by climate change so right. that it doesn't entirely just stay in alaska but there's an argument as far as energy needs goes as well about the domestic oil versus imported oil. So Sarah, you brought up earlier that we import oil and we export oil and we use our own oil and other people's oil. What we've seen in the last couple of years, and the war in Ukraine, for example, has been an issue,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, is when you are dependent on other countries importing oil or other energy resources into your country, if there is governmental instability, economic instability, war, your country and them don't get along, all of a sudden there's a change in your availability to these resources and that ends up getting passed on to
0: people who are trying to fuel their cars up for example so right i do think and i don't want to speak too heavily on this because boy yeah. this is above my understanding <laughs> or even even interest honestly which is a, a, a sure. reason that it remains above my understanding too is uh, i just never <laughs> never cared to learn that much about it but i think this is also more complicated than people like to make it out to be some of the things that i was reading at least briefly mentioned that there are different types of oil. And I don't mm-hmm. even mean just petroleum versus crude oil, but sort of different, uh, I'd, I'll say levels for lack of appropriate sure. terminology uh, of oil that can be produced. So we tend to have more of a certain kind. And so, you know, we might not be able to use the kind of oil that the United States is rich in for all of the things that we need it from. So there's oh, sure. still other reasons that we might need to import from other places. And because it is a global commodity, even if we were producing more, like we're still going to sell things like at the global price. So I I think sometimes much is made over being quote unquote energy independent With oil, where I just, it seems to me that it's not as simple as sometimes people would like to make it out to be. So I just wanted to put that out there for whatever it's worth.
1: Yeah, I agree. I've also heard this be an argument of why we do need to transition to cleaner energy Mm -hmm. because you're making a lot of your energy domestically. Now, obviously, we're also seeing issues with that where, you know, China has a lot of resources needed to make. Chips for electric cars and solar panels. And so we've been dealing with the p- political. How do you politic that out so that right. the U.S. can do that? But once a lot of those things are in place, it's not a continuous need for supply, too. Um, so there's that's been an argument for clean en- energy transition. Mm-hmm. Proponents argue that if you do not develop the Willow Project, that international drilling will make up for the demand. So if we're we keep demanding more oil, if the Willow Project doesn't happen, someone else is going to do it. Then mm-hmm. somebody else gets that money. And if you're looking at it super like if you want to be ethical about it, then those places don't even have as high environmental standards as we do or human rights standards. So really, don't you want it to happen in a country like ours where it's more rigorous, which I think is um, not a great argument? And it's a very common argument apparently made in these projects, but one of the holes to poke in it recently is that clean energy is now economically much more viable than it used to be. So this is not the only avenue of energy that we can be pursuing.
0: Yeah. And it's just, it's beating around the bush. It's missing the point that like, and I feel like it's taking a very pessimistic view too, where we need to be taking an optimistic looking ahead view we are slowly switching over to clean energy. It is happening. We need to be looking for those avenues to make it happen more quickly, not looking for excuses to go backwards, basically. And that, and that's a very biased way of saying that. But sure.
1: I mean, well, the other part of that is... From the U.S. perspective, how are we supposed to use any sort of moral high ground to get the world to transition over to clean energy, to reduce environmental impact and climate change footprints if we're drilling for more oil? (laughs) Because then everybody just goes into that self-preservation mode. Well, if I don't do it, someone else will. So one of the articles I have cited is from the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. And they're, the title of it is called The Willow Project and the Race to Pump the Last Barrel of Oil. And basically the thought is...
0: Good title. Isn't it a good title? Yeah.
1: If I don't pump the last barrel of oil, someone else is. If I, I don't keep doing it, like, why should someone else just get mm-hmm. to keep doing this pumping for this resource? So it's a good article. There's a lot of good articles in here, guys. There's, there's stuff going on. Check the show notes. Check the show notes. So... We are currently stuck. And this is something that that article from um, Carnegie talks about in this mid transition conundrum. Mm -hmm. I feel that. Right. It feels one foot forward, one step forward, one step back a lot. Um, One of the things I think I forget what episode we talked about this on, but there's a rebound effect where when you make things more efficient, people use more of it. So like, When computers were big and expensive and like had a lot of demand on their energy, we all had like maybe one in our house and we were really excited. But now if you look at basically what a computer is, I've got a smartphone and my husband has a smartphone and I've got a laptop here and he's got a laptop and they multiply. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden each individual might have less of an energy consumption. But overall, we're not reducing our energy impact. And we're seeing the same thing with cars where they become more energy efficient. So we buy bigger and more cars. Mm hmm. So we're not really seeing that demand go down the way that we want to. And as people stick to their cars, for example, the government is then less incentivized to transition to clean energy because the demand isn't quite there to switch over to the electric cars. That's something they're obviously addressing um, recently, especially with the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. But we're in this mid-stuck level where we're trying to do both. We're trying to both keep our fossil fuels and build up our clean energy and they're kind of restraining each other's growth.
0: And in a sense I get it. Like I I feel it. I understand. I understand the arguments on both sides. It sort of feels like we can't we can't move forward until we have the infrastructure to move forward, but we're not going to mm-hmm. get the infrastructure to move forward until we commit to moving forward and, you know, so that's that's where this project is a struggle for me.
1: Right. Again, when we were looking at just the environmental impacts, it's like, we should be all clean energy all the time. What the heck are we doing? And in the very end, that's what's going to save the most people, save the most money, etc. But we're not talking in that sort of scope we're talking about right now.
0: Right. Because also the other side of me is very much just as a human being, I totally get people in Alaska who support this like I totally understand the reasons for support I know we have more to talk about and I feel like I'm trying to wrap the episode up so I won't do that but but I'm just saying I feel the struggle I feel a very specific way about this project but I also can understand where the proponents are coming from
1: yes given who's sort of in charge of the government right now with the Biden administration, they have made some pretty big climate mm-hmm. pledges. And honestly, personally, I have it have exceeded my expectations on how much they have been moving forward. A lot of times when we're doing research on our episodes, this happened last week when we were talking about the buy clean uh, concrete part of it. Yeah. I was like Googling. And then the Biden-Harris administration has committed to a buy clean package for mm-hmm. I think that was through the Inflation Reduction Act there's doing a lot of things that are just not catching the news cycle that are just flying under the radar as well as some big things. Yeah, I'll go for it. Yeah. As well as some really big things like the Inflation Reduction Act, which is a huge investment in clean energy. So why would the Biden administration basically eliminate (laughs) a lot of the gains that they're making by then approving a project that has such a big carbon footprint? So there's, a couple reasons, but it's mostly legal. As I mentioned, they Conoco Phillips company owns the lease to this property mm-hmm. and basically has the rights of development. The government has the ability to alter the scope of that development, but the company has the legal high ground as far as fighting an outright rejection and denial of the project in court. They've invested money in exploring the area, doing the drilling. And so it would have forced the government into a legal challenge that probably would have cost billions of dollars, probably would have just delayed the project and not actually stopped it, and also would have taken away the government's power to negotiate the scale of the project in the meantime. That's at least what the argument is from the Biden-Harris administration. So uh, when you look at their press release for it, which I thought was really interesting, is it's the Interior Department substantially reduces scope of Willow Project. That's how they launched this through the Department of the Interior. Not Willow Project approved, controversial Mm -hmm. Willow Project. It's like, we approved it, but it's much smaller than than what it was. And then the subheadline, which I think is a little misleading, is drill pads reduced by 40% Phillips to relinquish rights to 68,000 acres of existing leases. That is all true. It's not like a hundred percent. It's ex. not,
0: it doesn't contain all of the information, <laughs> right? <laughs> which is, this is, just, I mean, that's any article put out by anyone ever anymore. <laughs> it feels like so, right? And we I get our it. biases.
1: I would spin it too. Mm-hmm. If, if I was like, this is not really a project I like, but I want to make myself still look okay during it, I would spin it that way as well. Um, Deb Holland, who's in in charge of the Department of the Interior, Um, when she was a representative in Congress, she actually opposed the project. Now she's kind of in charge of the overall (laughs) department that had to approve it. And she's basically refused to say, I personally am very happy about this. They've kind of tried to ask her because that was her public stance before. And she's like, it's approved. We did things to make it smaller. (laughs) But she Mm -hmm. didn't want to say, like, and I'm happy about it. So they did reduce the scope. Originally it had five drilling pads and they've reduced it down to three,
0: which I don't even quite understand what a drilling pad is, but that's all it's not the same thing as a well like there would be multiple right. wells on each of these pads a lot. yeah.
1: my understanding is is uh the original scope was like 250 wells mm-hmm. and now we're down to like 199 wells. So that kind of gives you an idea as well of like we reduce the drilling pads. To by 40% by two. (laughs) Uh, But the number of wells has not gone down, and the amount of or not gone down by as much. And the amount of carbon dioxide and obviously production out of this space that's only been reduced by 8%.
0: I actually had not seen that number in what I was researching. So that's a little sad.
1: Yeah. Now, from a land use perspective, It is significantly better than what it was before, um, which may address some of the concerns by the people who are actually like near the pipeline with its impacts on caribou and yellow bill loon populations being cited as reasons that they didn't want to develop near the lake where some of the sites were. So they specifically tried to get the project out of some of the areas that were the most ecologically sensitive. But from a climate change perspective, we're still talking about a lot of carbon dioxide coming out of that project. Um, As they mentioned in that press release, the company gave up rights to 68,000 acres, and the Biden administration is restricting any drilling in the Beaufort Sea, which is nearby. And they are also proposing a rule that would limit the development in special protection areas and strengthen protections for wildlife. This has been a big critique as well as the Bureau of Land Management and the rules all associated governing these federal lands and development of petroleum um, haven't necessarily held these companies to the highest standards that environmental groups would really like to see. So when you can say like, oh, it's well-regulated, there's an argument to be made on the other side that it's not as well-regulated as maybe they would like to to claim. The political reasons to do this, other than the legal reasons, is... Uh, obviously the administration wants to make nice with some of the key alaskan reps to support other parts of their agenda also if majority of people in alaska support it and then the federal government comes in and takes away some of their state tax base that's not going to be very popular he also pledged to do something about oil prices so we all experience high gas prices if he would have not approve the project i'm not saying this is a reason only reason that he didn't do it but it would have been a bad press day to say hey we could have lowered prices for gas in the long term and he decided not to do it it's an argument to be made biden did promise no new drilling on federal lands period during his campaign that's not it <laughs> what's happening right now so the decision threatens to undermine his climate ambitions and the support of climate activists and young people that being said i don't think he really had a choice
0: yeah i don't like that viewpoint personally i understand that he said it and i wish that it could true. have been but i do by. i'm not mad about this what went down i'm frustrated that the project exists at all but i'm not mad about this agreement i i sort of feel like they did the best that they could if we want to talk about how many times a president didn't fulfill right. campaign pro- uh, promises like i just that's just ridiculous to you, you know that happens all the time it, so it it's just frustrating you know that this was a very specific statement that he made, and and it's, like I said, it's frustrating for us to feel like this is a step in the wrong direction, but I personally feel like the reasoning makes sense, at, as you said, that this would probably have just turned into a very long-drawn argument that may have ended off being worse than what it ended up being. Reducing the size is not nothing, saving that, you know, land, if nothing else, Um, is better than not I think so it's better than not I
1: can't I mean even at a smaller scale I feel like how many times have you had someone who was like if I was in charge then I would do this and then they get to be in charge and then they realize there's a reason they couldn't do it in the first place
0: (laughs) there's checks and balances and all kinds of red tape and we've established that I wouldn't want (laughs) to be in politics (laughs) at all so it's just you know everything is is just a lot more complicated than we want it to be.
1: Right. Lots of things going on. I agree with you in that I am frustrated that this is happening. I do understand that, like, it seems like their hands were pretty much tied Mm -hmm. with how this has spanned since, like, (laughs) before the Bush administration. So we're talking about, like, five different presidents going through the process here. So it just happened to be approved, I feel like, through this particular president. And it sounds like a lot of the people, I mean, like I said, the, the head of the Department of the Interior wasn't necessarily a proponent of it. They've been able to reduce the scope. And these other rules that they're putting forward hopefully will help reduce further development. Because that's also a risk if you've built some infrastructure out there for drilling for oil and then it goes well, you have less of a barrier to continuing to develop further out for oil because you've already got maybe some pipelines you can just connect into and mm-hmm. some roadways that are already built out there. So if they're helping reduce that in the future, that's something too. So what now? <laughs> is the question, is it over? Indeed.
0: <laughs> is it
1: over? What can you do if you're like very against this project, which I am against this project. I understand why it's currently on track to happen, but I'm against this project because I just don't think it serves any of our, our mission we need to get to. It's going to substantially impact our ability to meet our climate goals. The project has been challenged by several environmental groups. They, remember, won that court case based on the faulty environmental impact statement before. They did just lose a injunction that they filed to stop construction on the project. So they immediately filed, said, we don't want any construction to go forward until we can mount our legal challenge and a judge struck that down said no they're going to start their construction you can mount a legal challenge but um they're going to continue with the project going forward it got approved the center of biological diversity and i will say like in general it seems like the administration's claim that it would have been very hard for them to fight this in court seems to be the consensus overall Environmental groups challenging it don't, f- they just feel like that's kind of an excuse to to make nice with lobbyists. And so the Center for Biological Diversity, for example, is one of the organizations that challenged the first environmental report. Them and a bunch of other organizations are going to challenge this one as well. They uh, are challenging it based on a couple things, but one of them is that they failed to consider the impacts of climate change on polar bears, bard seals, and ring seals, as required under the Endangered Species Act.
0: So that it looked at the immediate impacts, but didn't address climate change.
1: Yeah, I found this part super interesting. They basically said, we don't, the environmental impact statement, according to this late article I read, said, we believe zero polar bears will be killed in the course of this pipeline. We think approximately four polar bears will be hazed at some point. So basically, shopping bags at made to run away from the area to help mitigate any sort of human wildlife conflict, which I thought was a very specific number, but I guess they have big territories. So, (laughs) um, so that they looked at, okay, what's the threat of oil spills and human encounters and noise pollution to polar bears. And they decided, okay, no polar bears are going to be harmed. Good. Like they were like, they just cited that some might be bruised by the hazing. Um, They're like, cool, they're fine moving forward. And the Center for Biological Diversity is like, "Uh, climate change. (laughs) This, This project is going to accelerate climate change. So looking into that, when the polar bear is being proposed to be listed, it was a big push emotionally from the American public to list them. The Bush administration decided to list them, but put out a memo saying that climate change could not be considered during proposals for specific projects because you could not link it specifically with the impact on polar bears which again puts us in this weird trap of uncertainty and and weaponizing scientific vagueness because we don't want to commit to particular scenarios it's impossible to know the future but you can kind of know the impact that you're pushing towards
0: it's talk tough. to me about
1: how you're feeling yeah, yeah, no i
0: can see it i can see it because obviously we know that in general the impacts of climate change but i understand from a legal perspective things you can have slippery slopes and things mm-hmm. do often just have to be really specifically defined i think so as i sit here Thinking about this, I just feel like it's going to be a struggle. Like, I get the argument, but I don't know that I have a whole lot of confidence that that's going to be successful.
1: I think it's a similar trade off argument where you're like, well, if we don't develop here, won't someone else develop other means mm-hmm. of producing greenhouse gases in another yeah. part that's going to have the same impact? I think it has an interesting potential to maybe bring climate change more into the conversation because there's basically a memo saying you can't use it, but maybe it'll help us define how we can use it. Mm -hmm. I agree. I do think that it's going to be a challenge for them to stop this project on that particular basis. I don't know if there's other things specifically that they're looking at. Um, I know in the original lawsuit that they brought they also noted that a lot of the comment periods for the original environmental impact statement were in the middle of covid and they were done over zoom but the infrastructure and like the uh, the technological issues with it uh were a problem also it was during whaling season for the indigenous people who lived there so like it was not a convenient time for them to then be Doing their research and commenting. So, I wonder if there'll also be some input on how this impacts maybe more locally rather than the climate change angle on uh, how this project impacts them. And they might be able to slow it down. They said even just like legal stuff could slow it down maybe five or six years. The entire project will take a while to come up online. And at that point, we might have less demand for oil. It's possible. So things could change.
0: And that's the route that I feel like just needs to happen. Like we have to do these other things to lessen the demand for oil and figure out how to still, you know, we, we don't want to cripple the state of Alaska by reducing our demand for oil. So state governments figuring out how to adjust their revenue, I guess, uh, which right. it all is also beyond my scope, but is a thing that it needs to happen
1: yes that is definitely a complicated thing that needs to be visited there's definitely some suggestions within the the carnegie article talking about the biden administration has a better chance instead of trying to get rid of this project to try and reduce overall demand for uh greenhouse gas burning devices so that's something he's already trying to do that's something that that people are looking into. The Inflation Reduction Act is a big investment in a lot of clean energy and infrastructure that should help us transition away from, elect- or from uh, standard internal combustion cars to electric cars. Um, and there's also things like changing over stoves and different devices. And so that was the proposal of how they thought that the government could kind of help offset this project. But it is definitely going to basically how they've changed policy on federal lands is completely offset by approving this project on federal lands so that is the willow project that is the state of what's going on sarah thoughts
0: i feel like i will just be repeating myself if (laughs) i share my thoughts because i feel like i've tried to summarize things as we've gone along yeah so like I think where where I'm sitting right now I don't have a whole lot of hope or thought in my head that this project is not going to move forward and I'm frustrated by that I'm not angry at (laughs) the government for doing what they did Again, this was bipartisan support in the state of Alaska to move forward. So I get that. I think I'm mostly just discouraged that this is something that people still feel like we need. And that's what I want to see changed is I want to see I want to see the demand decrease. I want to see industry shift over however that looks. I want to see folks getting income from non-fossil fuel sources
1: yeah i think that's that's the most interesting part to me so far was i guess one of the the other alternatives that the government can look at is the what if we did nothing instead and that argument's always been offset by the someone else will do it somewhere so we might as well do it i am interested in in this new sort of energy transition as we maybe hit that peak point of the tipping and start to dwindle down on our reliance on fossil fuels and really ramp up clean energy if we can start to see some of those old ways of thinking that are very like inward looking as well saying like well what about me i should just be the one doing it versus looking at the the global whole not that that's an easy economic arc and argument to make but it would be nice if if maybe we're getting closer to a reality where it is an economic argument to say well if we don't do it we're still not consuming that oil we're we're using some other alternative energy source and so it's better not to develop that land it's better to continue to invest in our clean energy instead
0: so that's my hope that's my hopeful aspect of it gotta end on a positive
1: gotta end on a positive and we'll be right back with our challenge of the week so stick around All right. We are back with our challenge of the week in relation to the Willow Project. So I have a couple of them on my brain. Um, the first one is if you have really strong feelings about the Willow Project, you should make it heard. That's actually how I first heard of the Willow Project it was not the standard news. It was through Instagram and <laughs> some of the environmental activists I, I follow on that. It's become a big thing on TikTok, um, but you can tell people why you don't think this is a good thing. Get Raise some attention for it because I think For a lot of people, it's maybe going under the radar a little bit if it's not already in their their zone. You can also donate money to organizations if you feel strongly about this being fought. You can donate money towards organizations that are fighting it. If you want to go an alternative approach, you can also look into seeing what your local government's doing about clean energy transition. So whether they're installing electric charging stations for electric vehicles, if they are looking to install solar panels on government buildings, things like that. Because as we mentioned, the reason projects like these are still getting approved is because there's still demand for them. So if we can start to look at other options of how we're powering our world, then there's going to be hopefully less willows in the future.
0: Thanks, Casey. As always, great discussion. I learned things. I have complicated thoughts about things. Which in my mind makes for a good episode. So thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to get in touch with us for anything, whether you have feedback, comments, questions, episode topic ideas, or anything like that, you can find us on Facebook at a little greener podcast. We're on Instagram at a little greener pod. We're on Twitter at a greener podcast. And you can send us an email at a little greener podcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will talk to you next week. Bye.